Amen. I love it. I love that uh, we love fellowshipping uh, with one another. So it's great. It's great. Sometimes it's hard to get you guys quiet, but that's a good problem, right? So, uh, you know, I grew up in a church where it was really quiet all the time. And after it was over, people just, in fact, most of us left even before it was over. Uh, so when I first, first experienced true Christianity, I went, people were staying for fellowship longer than the service lasted. I went, wow, this is pretty amazing. All these people took some kind of friendship drug or something. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it's called Jesus. Uh, but anyway, so uh, anyway, I was out of town uh, the last few days, did a wedding in Minneapolis, had a great time, got to see my other kids, uh, but it's good to be back home. We're feeling more and more and more that this is home. Uh, so we're excited. And that's, that's kind of hard when you've moved over 20 times. It's like, where's home? Sometimes I mix up, get mixed up, and, hey, it's good to be here in Los Angeles. Oh, wait, where are we? Eau Claire, uh, you know, when you've moved so many times. But anyway, let's have a little prayer, and we're going to dive into stuff uh, in Romans chapter 6. And so I think we're going to have a good time. Father, thank you uh, so much for this amazing church, for the people that are here, people that are listening uh, or watching and I pray I can do the best job that I can do with this beautiful chapter. It talks about some of the most basic and powerful things of our faith. And so, um, so God, help me, again, to do a great job, to be clear, um, and to be so proud of what we're going to study in a good way. Uh, thank you so much for this time together. It's through your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Today's sermon is entitled, Baptized into Slavery. Because I think that's what Romans 6 is about. Now, I know that sounds like, um, Being enslaved to God, which this chapter is all about, is not anything like this world has ever seen. Because God is completely selfless. Every law, every command, every desire, every wish on his part is for our good and for our benefit. In fact, that's where we will end today in verse 21. And, well, anyway, the last... Last little paragraph. Everything. So being enslaved to him is the best decision you've ever made or will make in the future. And, um, and that's why he's called Lord, because in those days, a Lord, Lord really meant something. If someone was your Lord, they, were, they owned you. If someone was your king, we call Jesus king also. If, if the king could do anything he wanted. And what did our king do? Take advantage of us? No, he died on the cross for us, Romans 3, Romans 5. So you want that guy to own you, okay? You want, you want to be enslaved to that guy, okay? So baptized into slavery, don't, don't let it make you cringe. Uh, being enslaved to Jesus, Jesus is the best decision I ever made. And I work on it every day, and so do you. And, and now, even after 44 years, a lot of the benefits are starting to blossom. Sometimes it takes a long time. But if I don't get to my notes, we're going to be here until Joel P. gets back into town. So anyway, let me do a little summary. Uh, so this is all introduction. We haven't, we, I only have two points when we finally get there. Um, 
So the first, the introduction is kind of the first point. You know, the main goal, I just want to do some, summer, some summary up till now of what we've done in the book of Romans. The main goal of the book of Romans is to foster unity. You know, there's this, this tension-filled church with Jews and Gentiles, very, very different people with very different backgrounds, and, and it's, there's some tension. There's some, you know, uneasiness, big uneasiness in the church. And so the way that Paul goes after this is incredible. And basically what he does through chap- in chapters 1 through chapter 3, verse 20, is he says, listen, nobody's better than anybody else, all right? Whether you're a hedonist or a religious guy, Gentile or Jew, nobody's better than anybody else. You know how therapeutic that is for unity? Amen. That's, that may be the greatest key. If I think I'm better than my wife, I'm going to have a really bad marriage. If I think I'm better than any of you, then I'm, I'm, you're not going to want to be around me. There's going to be disunity between us. All right? You know, uh, just last summer, uh, this, this dude swam the longest anybody ever swam. Is that right? Swam? Swam in the ocean. Okay. Now, let's say, uh, Salvation, if you could swim from California, Los Angeles, to Honolulu, you could be saved by your own efforts, okay? 2,550-some miles or something like that. You could do that, unaided, no flippers. You know, you couldn't do this with Flipper and his brother. Uh, just, just you and your feet and your arms and your hands and, your, you know, your little Speedo or whatever you wear. All right, try not to picture that. Uh, but anyway, so you're in there, and, and go, I want to be saved, so you jump in the water. Well, this Fernando guy last summer swam 155 miles in the ocean. That dude is like a stud. I used to be on a swim team. Well, at my age, 64 years old, or whatever, and any of you, in ocean water, uh, even the most studly guy or studly woman, <laughs> that's probably not correct, but anyway, we, we might make it a couple, three miles, or maybe 10, maybe 40 or 50, I don't know. Wouldn't it be ludicrous for Fernando to look down on any of us? Like, you only made it two miles, Steve? What a bum. You made it 155 miles, and you got like 2,300 miles plus to go. You're just as much a bum as I am. <laughs> you see, it, it, it evens things out. We're all sinners, right? Romans 3, uh, verses 21 through the end of chapter 5 is about what this Christian you know, concept called justification. Justification is this split-second thing that happens to you when you go from being lost and condemned to being saved and in the light. That's what justification is. And it's because Jesus died on the cross, not because you swam 2,500 miles. No human's ever going to be able to do that. And so that's what those two chapters are about. And it explains in detail, in beautiful detail, life-changing detail, joy-bringing detail, 
why you can be saved in Jesus even if you only made it, even if you can't swim at all and you got in the water and just ran to the beach. And that's what Romans 3 through 5 are basically about. Romans 6 through 8, this is now we're starting a new section because I'm going to do Romans 6 today. It's all about this other kind of big fancy theological concept called sanctification. And that's the lifelong process that especially begins when you're baptized into Christ where the Holy Spirit transforms you into the image of Christ. That's what it is. That's what sanctification is. And that's what Romans 6 through 8 are about, okay? Now, uh, before we get to Romans 6, let's talk about something else. Romans is full of Old Testament Jewish imagery, okay? That's because Paul's trying to convince, especially his Jewish brothers, those that disagree with him, those who don't think Jesus is the Messiah, he's trying to convince them that he really is the Messiah. And he's already talked about Abraham and David. And now in Romans 6 through 8, he's going to talk about Moses' ministry. It's a little more subtle. He never mentions Moses' name, but that's really what he's referring to. Because you could look at Moses' ministry, and almost the entire thing points to Jesus. That's why it says in Deuteronomy somewhere, a prophet like me is going to rise up in the future. Because... Jesus' whole ministry, you know, you can spin back to Moses' ministry and you go, wow, that, that's a prophetic picture of, that's a symbol, that's a foreshadowing of. It's a, it's a faith-building study. And so Romans 6 corresponds to the Exodus, where Israel's salvation was granted through water. God did a miracle with the water. <laughs> That's probably what it sounded like or something like that. And God did a miracle in the water, and they went through to the other side, and they were free, and then God closed up, the, washed away all their slave drivers. And that's what happens in baptism. God does a miracle in the water. We believe God does this incredible miracle. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So that's what Romans 6 corresponds to. Romans 7 corresponds to the giving of the law at Sinai. And then Romans 8 is their journey through the desert on their way to the promised land. That's, what's, that's where we're at. We're not in the promised land yet. That's why life is tough. We're in the desert. Until God turns this, back, this whole world back into Eden, we're going to be in the It's going to be tough. It's going to be hard. Just read the story. We're in the scorching desert. God's presence was always with Israel. At night, there was big pillar. Can you imagine? Do you look out your tent. Wow. I'm full of noises today, which means I'm a man. And they're just flaming. Okay, he's still there. Let's go to sleep. And in the day, there's this big pulsating dark cloud. There's probably music coming from it or something, you know. But he was with them or amongst them, around them, by them. But guess what? Romans 8 says he's in us. How much more intimate is that? How much more awesome is that? 
that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are actually in us forever. As long as we keep trekking toward the promised land in spite of all the struggles and the desert and the hard times. His presence is with us even when it doesn't feel like it. Don't go back to Egypt, right? So that picture, if you were a Jewish person back then, you'd be seeing that through that whole, all three of those chapters. All right? Okay. I hope this theology isn't boring to you. I really hope it's not boring. I hope it's faith-building. I hope it's exciting. I hope when you go back and read about the Exodus and all that jazz, now you go, oh, oh sorry. So I hope it's not boring to you. Um, if it is, I'd suggest you get some help. Seriously. Get with somebody. Get your ministry leader, somebody. And get some help. Serious. I'm a 44-year-old Christian. So if you're an old Christian, you say, well, I've heard this a million times. Uh, you know how many times I've heard it, let alone preached it? Never been more fired up about it. So cool. So cool. Romans 6, holy smokers, it's as basic as it comes. I'm so fired up studying this chapter this week. Okay, so we're now let's get into Romans 6. I only started two minutes ago, so we're good. All right, uh, I have two points, uh, Christian baptism and Christian slavery. I think that's what this chapter is about. You know, at the end of chapter 5, he, he ends with this idea that um, the law made sin more obvious and evident. It, it, and because of our propensity to selfishness, it actually incited sin more. So sin increased because of the law. And, and the law is not bad, which Romans 7 talks about. Ra- the law is holy and good. It's not the law's fault. It's my fault because I've got all this selfishness in me. And so... So, again, that, that was to humble mankind, everybody, uh, so that we would have a desperate need for a savior, a redeemer, someone who would save us from this impossible swim, right? Paul had a bunch of critics, of course, you know, that used to be his buddies that he hung around with, went to college with, whatever. And he had a bunch of critics. And, and so because of that idea... Wherever he went, Paul would hear things like, so, Paul, your new gospel or this new gospel about this Jesus guy from Nazareth, (coughs) oh, Nazareth, right, that you're saying that since God's grace is, is glorified and multiplied when we sin, your doctrine says we should sin more so that God could be glorified more. Yeah, that's a really ridiculous doctrine, Paul. And that's where Romans 6 starts. Paul answering that question. So let's go ahead and start reading Romans 6. It's good stuff so far, right? Man, Jake likes it anyway. All right, I'll just look at you the whole time. (laughs) Say amen if you like something. Go ahead and get out of yourself. You know, it feels good when you get out of yourself, doesn't it? All right. But if you want to say amen under your breath, then that's, that's fine, too. Romans 6. 
Ephesians. That did not look right. It started out with children obey your parents. That's not a bad message. It's just not the one I want today. All right, here we go. What shall we say then? Are we to remain or keep on sinning so that grace may increase? Absolutely not. That is so not what I'm saying. Other translations say, God forbid, or, or, abs, uh, or, or may such a thing never happen. Okay? Here's, here's my loose translation. Okay? That's the dumbest and most pathetic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and it's not what I'm teaching. Here's what happens in Christian baptism. Maybe we need a refresher course. It fired me up to study out what I did 44 years ago. December 8th, 1978 at 1130 at night. Here's what happens. All right, you don't have to turn there because I'm going to only be here for a minute. It says... In Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 and 27, For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. We're saved by faith. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. But don't just pluck that scripture out. You can pluck scriptures out like Jesus did if you know what they mean according to the rest of the Bible, which, of course, he did. But scripture plucking has created more false doctrines, especially with baptism, than almost anything else. If you pluck, know what you're doing, is what I'm saying. I'm not talking about eyebrows, of course. <laughs> Sorry, that was a dumb joke. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through your faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, really important word there, into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. Okay, let's say this. Uh, sorry, Jesus, about this in advance. Let's say this suit coat is Jesus. Okay? It is a nice suit coat. I like the color. But anyway, let's say it's Jesus. Okay? So I got faith in Jesus. I'm studying the Bible and all this jazz, but, and, and I want to live for Jesus. I decide to live for Jesus. But until I got my suit coat on, my Jesus on, I'm still not a Christian. I'm still lost. I'm still not justified. And so this verse is saying, you got to have faith. Nobody gets baptized or repents unless they have faith. That's why they do it. So you got to have faith, and your faith leads you when you study the Bible correctly uh, to get baptized into Christ. And then I put my Jesus on, and now I'm saved. It's that simple. It's that simple. People say, we should not be apologetic about what we believe about baptism. Sometimes I think we are. I get tempted to sometimes because most of the religious world doesn't believe what we believe. But it's not about we believe or what we believe. It's about what the Bible actually says. And the Bible actually says that's when you're saved. Now, we could talk about the exceptions and the, and the hypotheticals all day long. Well, what if I'm in the desert and all of a sudden I want to be saved? Well, I can answer that question in Acts chapter 8. All of a sudden, there was an oasis there for the dude that wanted to be saved. And furthermore, you never determine what is true with hypotheticals. Like God didn't do a good job coming up with the doctrine of salvation. Like, oh, Jesus, I should have thought of that. 
lot of people in the desert. You know, people don't live in the desert. I flew over the savannah. There was nobody there. People, if they do live in the desert, they live by an oasis, right? Or a river. Anyway. <laughs> I could go forever on this stuff. But anyway. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed about what we believe. That we believe that you have to be baptized to be saved. And I'll get more into that later. Okay. So. You, you, but let's go back to Romans uh, uh, 6. Okay, so we'll read this passage. Verse 3. So he says, the, the, the dumbest idea in the world is that once you're in Christ, you could live in sin. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And that is not what I'm preaching. Or don't you know, verse 3, or don't you know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, there it is again, were baptized into his death, that means we, we are spiritually baptized into his death and we receive all the benefits of his death. You know, like the biggest benefit of all, that he, was, he took the punishment for all of our sins that's added to our life when we believe, repent, and are baptized. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? So we're baptized into his there. Therefore, we have been... Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we may live a new life committed to the desires of God, enslaved to God's desires. That's really what the rest of the passage is talking about. Okay, so, um, you know, ba baptism is very symbolic. But what the religious world does to it is that they say it's only symbolic. It's symbolic of what actually happens, what God does. You know, in 1978, I was in the water. I was shaking, and the water wasn't cold. I was like, wow, I'm just making the biggest decision of my entire life. And then I got baptized. And when I was under the water, God gave me all the benefits of Jesus because I'm now in Jesus. And he took away all my sins and piled them on the cross. And he gave me the Holy Spirit. And he did this surgery this, that, that changed my heart. It talks about in Colossians 2. All that happens in baptism. And then I was raised to a new life because I had new life. Because I was saved. Not, it's not rocket science. It's just exactly what the passages say, right? Okay, let's read Romans 6, 5 through 7. For if we have become united with him, which is in baptism, in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be united with him in the likeness of his resurrection. We know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin, for someone who has died has been freed from sin. I'm not going to address all the things in this beautiful passage, but the one thing I'm going to say is, you know, salvation is a cooperative thing. Some people say, you don't have to do anything to be saved. Is there a verse in the Bible that says that? No. You absolutely have to do something to be saved. You have to swim. But you can't swim all the way. You can't just try swimming 2,500 miles, which you've already failed at. 
can't. We can't as Christians, even with the Holy Spirit. We can't. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus every day. I need Jesus more than I did when I was a non-Christian because I know so much more. Think about that for a minute. Think about it. We need Jesus even more now because we still mess up, don't we? We still swallow water and sink to the bottom. Jesus pulls us back up. But, the, you know, you, so, so I have to make the decision to say, I don't want to live the old Steve way. That's called repentance. So I go, I don't want to, I don't want to be, you would not like me. Kelly would not have married me. My grandkids would divorce me if, if I was still the way I was. I was a jerk. I had a horrible temper. I was super selfish. When I went to the gym, I lusted more than I lifted. That's why I was so scrawny all my life. Well, of course, that changed when I became a Christian, okay? You know that. Yeah. Now, that guy keeps trying to get back into my life every single day, and so does your old man or old woman every day. That's why it's so hard. Your soul has, your spirit has been infused with the Holy Spirit, and so your body, but your body, it's like your spirit's been resurrected, but your body hasn't yet. That's coming in the future. We get a new body, and then it's all going to be easy. The body and the spirit are going to be like, yeah, we're in this together and there's no argument, right? You feel that argument, right? That's what Romans 7 is about. So I don't want to steal Eli's thunder. Anyway, but it's a cooperative thing. I have to decide every day. Paul even says it. I die every every day. I think that's in 1 Corinthians 15. We have to die every day. It's the most basic uh, principle of Christianity, self-denial. And it's hard because we're in a desert and our body doesn't like to die. But our spirit loves it. Okay? Does that make sense? Am I hitting the right stuff here? I think so. Ask yourself, do my desires run my life or do his desires run my life? And we have to ask about desires because that's where sin, that's when we get tempted, First, or James chapter 1. When my desires are off, that's when I start getting tempted. Do my desires run my life or his desires? Now, I mean, it's, that's, that's one of the hardest questions, right? That's a hard way to live. Romans 6, verses 8 through 11. Let's go ahead and read this part. We're cranking. talking about Christian baptism. See, this happens. The old man was crucified in Christian baptism because I went into the waters of baptism saying, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to live for you. It's called repentance. And then I've devoted myself, and so have you, to this lifestyle of repentance. Chapter 6, verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he's never going to die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. For for the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Basically, he's just saying, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. He's never going to die again. 
That's, a, that's really good news. And he says, in the same way, look at sin that way. You made a decision. You got baptized into Christ. And the same thing. I'm not going to let sin dominate me again. We're going to struggle with it, but I'm not going to let it take over. We have the same resolve. But the big thing I want to share about this passage is, is you know, the, the doctrine of, of salvation and, and the specifics of salvation are very simple, and I love that. We come to believe in Jesus. We make Jesus Lord. We repent. That's what repentance is, making him king of everything. And then we get baptized, understanding what we just studied. We get baptized. And, of course, we're brought into the kingdom. I know sometimes, many times in my Christian life, I've doubted, am I really a Christian? Am I really saved? If Jesus came back right now, would I go to heaven? Have you ever, maybe you've never doubted that? But I love the simplicity of, of, the Christ, of this doctrine because I can go back and I go, did I believe in Jesus? Yeah, I believed in Jesus. It wasn't perfect, but I believed in him. Did you repent? Oh, yeah, I, a lot different. Thank you, Holy Spirit, a lot different. Thank you, Word of God. Thank you, Jesus, who died for me. Yeah, a lot different. Was I perfect? Not, no. But was I really different? Yeah. Did you get baptized? Did you understand what you just studied just now? What we, yeah, I, I did. I knew I was lost. And so, so my feelings, I go, okay, get out of here, feelings, because the Word of God says I am saved because I'm still trying to follow Jesus. And you can do that. That's what's so beautiful about how simple it is. And the world gets it all complicated and messed up. You can always do that. That's why I always tell people if they get baptized, then write down what you did, what you thought, what you believed. And if you ever doubt it in the future, you can go back, oh, yeah, I did understand that. I did know that. I'm a Christian. Thank you, Jesus. And we believe the word of God and the promises of God, not our fickle feelings, right? All right, number two, Christian slavery. We've already talked about it a bit. We're going to talk about it more. It's a beautiful thing. It leads to life and peace and joy because who we're enslaved to. Verse 12, therefore, you know, like Joel said the other day, whenever there's a therefore, you want to know what it's there for, okay? And... Um, Therefore, since all this happened when you were baptized and leading up to your baptism, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. You know, overcoming sin is not inevitable just because now you have the Holy Spirit. It's not inevitable. Again, it's that cooperative thing. You got to fight hard, man. You got to do everything the Bible says. The Bible says a lot about how to overcome sin, right? Practicals. Like, what are some of them? Let me, you know, you guys are just listening to me. What are, what are some of the practicals? Here's how you can fight and overcome sin. This is not rhetorical. All right, raise your hand so I can. Jesse? Confession. Oh, nobody likes to confess their sins. I don't. But I've been doing it the best I know how. Sometimes I hide it for a while. Stupid. But then I get open with it and I feel better and I do better until I get open with it. 
man, it's like trying to trying to lead the Christian life on three fat, flat tires. You just can't go anywhere. Okay, confession, what else? Yep. Pray. Oh, my gosh. Most basic thing of all. Pray. Lean. Rely. Remember, you desperately need him every day. Yep. I can't hear you. Awesome. Yeah, repent quickly. He said, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. You know, fix your relationships quickly. Since re- Jesus is all about relationships. Deny yourself. Deny yourself. Keep. Oh, yeah, I'm going to talk about that later, so I'm coming back to that. Okay. And one more. Any more? Anyway. Stay in the word, man. It's, uh, it's like eating the best, most nourishing food, and it always tastes good. Well, it doesn't always taste good, right? Right? Let's be honest. You read something in the Bible, I'm not, I'm not into that today. Then turn the page and read something else. You know, sometimes, uh, that wasn't a very good quiet time. So, so then next day, I'll, I'm not, okay, I'm going to get out of the book of Job, and I'm going to go over to, you know, the book of Romans or something. Don't let yourself get stuck. And if you are stuck, then get, then get some help. Get advice. Get help. Okay? All right. Good stuff. Okay, so it's not inevitable that you overcome sin, but now it's possible because you have the Spirit, and you're on the other side of the cross. It wasn't possible, really, for them to radically change in the Old Testament. Just read Ezekiel 36. But now it's possible. It's hard. But it's like, you know, I like who I am now. I didn't like myself when I was a non-Christian, and even as a young Christian a lot of times. But after 40-some years of fighting sin, I go, wow, I'm a lot better person than I used to. Am I what I need to be? Totally? Of course not. But I'm a lot better person. And I'm telling you, you stay at it. You can get this healthy self-esteem, all this stuff that the world is crazy about. You can start feeling really good about yourself, you and God, really confident. Okay. Okay, so, uh, and do not, verse 13, and do not present the member, uh, your members to sin as instruments to be used for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead, gratitude, that's what he's talking about there, and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. For sin shall have no mastery over you. You can't overcome because you're not under law but under grace. So in the past, before I was a Christian, I used to use my talents and gifts, uh, my body, whatever, uh, to serve myself. As Christians, we use all that to serve God and others. And so in other words, if you're somewhere in the middle and you're just kind of hibernating, just trying to not sin, it doesn't work. Sanctification doesn't take place. Now, there's a time to hibernate in a sabbatical, right? Or there's time to whatever, you know, lick your wounds maybe. But if you go on an extended hibernation and just grit your teeth and try to fight sin without living discipleship, enslaving yourself to the desires of God with wherever you're at, then you're not going to be transformed by the Spirit. And that's a lot of what the rest of the chapter is about, and especially chapter 8. 
That's why Christian slavery is awesome. It leads to transformation. The spirit is ignited by obedience, especially when you don't feel like it. I can't tell you how many times I look back at my history and, and I didn't feel like sharing my faith. And then I, ah, just one more person. I don't want to. I want to go home. I'm feeling timid. Then you share with one more faith and they come to church. And sometimes they even become Christians. I'm like, God's just teaching me to deny myself when I'm feeling like a baby. Verse 15. Basic question he asks here is, whose slave are you? You know, Christians have many identities. We're, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. We're sons and daughters. He's our father. We're his children. There's a cool verse in Isaiah 63 that says, we're the sought after. <laughs> Isn't that such a cool title? I'm the sought after, so are you. God just can't stop running after me and you. That's a cool picture. You know, we're saints. We're the holy people of God, 1 Peter chapter 2. But you know one of the most prolific identities in the New Testament? And one guy says it's the most prolific. We're slaves. It's everywhere. Slaves of Christ. Because if we become that in reality every day, we will be blessed in so many ways, especially eternity, okay? That's what this whole passage is about. Um, so, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin? Did I already read this? Nope, okay. Um, what then? So, with what I just said, listen. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under law but under grace, he goes back to the beginning. Absolutely not. That's the dumbest and most pathetic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Had to throw my translation in there. <laughs> Do you not know that if you present yourselves as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Either sin resulting in death, death of relationships, but eternal death, or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves to sin, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching, discipleship, obedience, whatever you want to call it, you were entrusted to. And having been set free from sin, you have become enslaved to righteousness, to God. I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of our flesh. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, doesn't sin always make more sin? So now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to more righteousness. But what he's really saying there is it leads to God changing you through his spirit. For when you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Okay, so it's pretty self-explanatory. It's much better to be a slave of Jesus than a slave of yourself, of sin and Satan. So let's just close this puppy down. Verse 21. So what benefit? Now we're going to talk about pros and cons, just for a minute. You know, I mean, when I thought about becoming a Christian a long time ago, I thought, okay, what are the pros? I was thinking, I was like, what are the pros? This is a scary decision. What are the cons? Okay. Pro. I get to live for myself. Uh, that hasn't actually worked out so well for me. I was pretty miserable at 21 years old. And it was because I was living for myself. So he just asked, what benefit did you reap from the things that you're now ashamed of? 
You know, sometimes it does feel better to live for yourself. Just wait a little bit. It's going to catch up. There's a verse that says that. Our sins many times trail behind us. We don't receive the punishment right away. We don't receive the bad stuff right away. But man, you live a, a, a life dominated, dominated by sin. Sooner or later, it's going to catch up and you're going to be miserable. What benefit did you reap from the things you're now ashamed of? For the end of those things is death. But now, freed from sin and enslaved to God, you're, uh, you have the benefit of leading that leads to sanctification, even. Again, you know, slave to God, you, make, you keep that decision that you made when you were baptized, and the Spirit will change you over time. And the end is eternal life. Now, even if there weren't a bunch of other benefits, that one? Okay, I figured out today, if I live to 90 years old, I'm going to live because I'm almost 64, I'm going to live 9,502 more days. That does not sound like very many, right? You can't even buy a good used car for 9,500. Well, maybe. But it's going to be a little tiny one that only you and your wife can fit in. Not that much. I can die to myself for another 9,502 days. Or I could, it's 227,760 hours. That didn't sound like very many hours either. I didn't calculate how many minutes. You can do the same thing. But you know, whether I lived to 90 or 150 or later today... <laughs> It, when I enter eternity, I'm going to be so glad, and so are you, that we made the decision and we stuck with it. Yep. And we stuck with it. And when we didn't feel like sticking with it, we got help. And we prayed. And we pulled out the stops and got all the help we could get so we could stay in there with Jesus. So we could keep marching forward to the promised land. So we could get there together. Don't hibernate when you're feeling sinful selfish or when you've sinned and I'm not when I say hibernate I am not trying to give some passive aggressive uh, message to those of you that you know you feel more comfortable with watching than attending I'm not doing that but if you do that you have to be involved you can't hibernate and just live for yourself you got to initiate you got to have zoom calls FaceTime calls phone calls emails stay fight hard to be Helpers in the family of God in the situation you're in. I always tell that to people. We respect the fact that you're, you believe, hey, it's safest for us to be home. But you still have to be involved. And you have to fight hard to do that. So many benefits to being a Christian. And, and persevering through the desert until we get to the promised land. Much better, deeper, fulfilling relationships. And if you don't feel it now, you will in the future if you keep being a slave. 
You, you, you know, you, you finally get where you have a clear conscience most of the time. And then when your conscience isn't clear, you can, you can get rid of that guilt and shame so quickly by understanding the grace of God and living by the grace of God. You can have confidence in your prayers most of the time. And then I've already talked about sanctification. Relentless enslavement leads to transformation. And, and then after a while, guess what? The drudgery of discipleship turns into delight. I went through a lot of drudgery. Years were like gutting it out, right? And so that's sometimes when we say, I'm not going to, I can't do this anymore. This, this slavery to Jesus stuff is just, ugh, ugh. But if you stick at it, the Spirit transforms your relationship with God and it becomes a joy. I can't tell you how many times I'm, I, you know, you don't feel good when you're 64 years old. Hardly ever. And you're on your way to a Bible study or whatever, and you're like, I want to do this. I can't believe I just said that. I'm an evangelist or whatever I am now. And you got on your way, it's like, I don't want to do this. Yes, you do. No, I don't. I want to go home and sleep or watch something on Netflix that's clean, of course. And, and I, just, I just don't want to do it. And then I do it, and I've never not done it when I felt like that. Thank you for giving me the strength to do that. I've always felt awesome afterwards. Always. And you will too. If you have to have a hard talk and you do it when you don't want to. Or you have to confess your sins and you do it even though you don't want to. Because you're a good slave. That's when the spirit changes us. Amen? And then eternal life. You know the... I think it'd be worth it to do all this perseverance even if we only got to see Jesus for a minute. But that's not that we're going to be missing Jesus forever. We're going to I mean, it's, it's indescribable what's going to happen when we go to heaven. Maybe we can think about that during communion. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for giving us the simplicity of Christian conversion. I pray that all of us can just think about our baptism today as we, and I pray that we can thank you for dying for us because that's, that's how the miracle in, our, in the water that we are saved through, that's how it happened. You know, simple. Some of us were baptized in the baptistry here. Some of us in a river. Some of us, we had to break the ice and, Get baptized. Some of us in a bathtub. And yet you did that miracle where you took away all of our sins and all of our penalties and punishments and you gave us the Holy Spirit and you circumcised the old man away. Father, thank you for doing that miracle. Help us to appreciate it. Um, and Father, help us to continue in the decision we made. We, we decided to make you our Lord, our King. We decided to be your joyful slaves. So help us to, out of appreciation for the cross, help us to stick with it. And we know that in the long run, the benefits will exceed anything we could ever have in this short, measly life. We love you, God, so much. Uh, bless our meditation right now. It's through your son's name that we pray. Amen.